0: choice of fireplace. Perhaps you'd better close the door. Blackout, you know. Yes, sir. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin.
1: I'm David Daw.
0: And this week, we watched the second-to-last film in the 1942 nominees, The Pied Piper, <laughs> which was...
1: <sighs> <laughs> you know what? what's a real natural genre fit for the fall of France at the start of World War II? I think a real natural genre fit is a heartwarming family comedy about an old man learning to love children. <laughs> if I were to pick any genre to tell that story, that's the one I would pick.
0: Yeah, I... Uh... <sighs> David, this movie, I did not enjoy it.
1: No, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. So that would probably explain why you didn't think it was very good.
0: <laughs> it was real bad. It was real long. And it really wasn't that long. I think it was like two hours.
1: No, it's 87 minutes. It doesn't even make it to an hour and a half.
0: Oh my God, it was a thousand years long.
1: But Yes, I totally agree with you. I just kept going. There's no way this was only 88 minutes. The whole time I kept being like, there was just a middle reel that this didn't count for some reason. That was a full hour long. The combination of factors that leads to that is a structure where by about five minutes in, you know the full structure of the movie, right? Yeah. It takes a little longer to figure out he's going to keep collecting new children, but you know that this fuddy-duddy old British man is going to keep bringing small children through a war zone until they can get back to the safety of England. Right. And they will succeed because they're not going to fucking kill these kids.
0: And whilst doing that, they are going to all come to like each other and he's going to soften a bit and become caring about children while also turning out to be kind of a brave badass despite being old. Yeah. The story is so crystal clear.
1: So it's a combination of this thing where it's like, I don't need to watch the rest of this movie by five minutes, ten minutes in. And... That the movie is structurally a series of interminable fucking vignettes. Oh, yeah. You're not even watching one through line of action. You're watching, they go to a new town, a horrible traumatic thing happens to a child. No one processes that trauma at all. We move on to the next vignette.
0: Right, but he has picked up the child to just take with him for... Now.
1: Right. The wild thing about this story is that, like, it ought to be the kids' story, but the kids aren't really good enough actors, and the movie doesn't really give a shit about them. So it becomes the story of how brave this old man is for dealing with children who literally have just been orphaned after the Nazis killed both of their parents in front of them.
0: Yeah, and everybody seems kind of fine with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, clearly the kids are traumatized, but dealing with that trauma is secondary to let's keep the plot moving forward, let's learn more about our old man protagonist.
0: Well, and it also can't be the kid's story because of the totally weird shit that happens in the second half half of this movie
1: that is the only deviation from exactly how you think it's going to go the first almost hour of this movie they are in the south of france and have to make their way through the north of france behind enemy lines essentially while hiding that they are not french to try and get across the channel and get back to england And you think like, well, that's the journey they're on for the whole movie. But instead, they sort of get to the north of France about 40 minutes in and then get captured by the Nazis right before they escape. And then there's this long battle of wits question mark interrogation sequence between our lead and a Nazi where the Nazis think that his story is so improbable and stupid because it is that he's got to be a British spy who's making all of this up, which he isn't, and do various things to try and prove that he is a British spy until he finally goes like, no, I'm just taking these children across the channel so I can take them to America, a place where they welcome all immigrants always, regardless of race, color, or creed.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That turns out to be the secret weapon that defeats the Nazis because the Nazi lieutenant, or I forget his exact rank, has a niece that turns out to be half Jewish. And he wants to smuggle her out of the Third Reich and to family in America. And so makes a deal where he will let this group go if this guy will take his his niece to. And the guy's like, yeah, sure, whatever, but also, uh, you're a fucking kraut bastard, and England will win the war. And you're like, I mean, all accurate, and he is a Nazi, so yeah, he can fuck off. But also, (laughs) like, do you remember the kids, my man? Do you remember that there are, like, small children that this is supposed to be about?
0: Oh, and let's not forget the totally weird quasi-romantic side plot where he meets up with his dead son's girlfriend when he died, and- She seems to be all up on him in a strangely romantic way, which to the movie's credit and his credit, he's like, yes, I'm so glad you loved my son.
1: Yeah, but it is a wild thing where every time it veers toward being a romantic subplot, you're like, why would you do this? Mm -hmm. They have enough of a connection through the dead son. And the dead son connection is such a weird connection to try and pivot to romance that the weird necessity of like having the only two adults in the room want to hook up because it's a hollywood film right is just so wild thankfully the movie never commits to it but it feels a little bit like that's because the movie never commits to fucking anything (laughs) right I don't know. The thing I kept thinking of watching this is that thing immediately after Trump got elected where everyone was like, well, at least the art will be great. And like, no, this is why it isn't and wouldn't be. This is such a movie that is still taking place within history when people have no historical perspective on an event. And have such a wild view of what history will think of this moment as being, that it, it just is totally haywire from a screen test of time perspective.
0: And there's definitely some really funny in retrospect moments in this movie, like when the Nazi guy says, yeah... We plan on occupying Great Britain in August, so you better move the kids to the U.S. really quickly. Or not we plan on it. We will be occupying Britain in August. And you're like, oh, you won't be. Yeah. (laughs) You will never be occupying Britain.
1: Those are kind of the only bits that land, and that's because they do have the proper historical perspective for that. This movie takes place in 39, but was filmed in 42. And so they can say stuff about what happens in the rest of 39, but they have no sense of how history will remember the German invasion of France. So they instead say these things about the very near-term future that is still the past from the point of view of the filmmakers. But whenever they are trying to do a grand sweep of history thing, they totally whiff it. Mm -hmm. The Nazis honestly come off as too nice in this movie. They're still assholes.
0: Or they come off as like petty assholes who have absolutely no control over the situation that they have gotten themselves into, but are also total pushovers. The whole thing with like, yeah, I'll let you go to England if you take my niece after he figures out he's not a spy, I kind of feel like the Nazi just would just be like, oh, you're not a spy? Cool, bullet, 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 done.
1: Yeah, the whole thing is kind of plainly absurd. And the only thing that even gives it a moment of plausible deniability is the idea that he has this secret niece that he's got to get out of there, which is also just sort of, wild from a 2020 perspective in particular, that the whole thing rests on the largesse of the American immigration system. Mm -hmm. Also, basically all of the performances are bad. A lot of them are from child actors who are doing their best in impossible parts, but it ain't great. And our lead is not great. And... And Baxter's fine.
0: Our lead is not great, and he's playing this character as, like, Papa Hemingway cosplay.
1: (laughs) Right. Like, you were introduced to him being asked to name five U.S. states for a child's homework, and insisting, as what the movie apparently thinks is an adorable and hilarious runner, that he believes Rochester to be a state in the United States... And is extremely irritated when anyone points out it isn't.
0: Oh yeah, he is ready to die on that hill. Yeah. For whatever reason.
1: As I said to you over text, I obviously hate Nazis more than I hate Reddit atheists. But I don't know why this movie would spend 90 minutes trying to test that theory. (laughs) He is such a debate me cowards piece of shit that having him be our ostensible audience surrogate in addition to lead is so wild. Yeah. The only thing that is really very compelling because, and it's kind of compelling by accident because I think the movie doesn't understand how powerful it is or it would handle it very different tonally, is watching these children try to make sense of a world gone mad. Right. So you periodically have like, A kid who has become mute because he watched his parents die. Or like a child who is desperately trying to fill an adult model in the group because that's what he was sort of starting to do with his older sister or with his younger sister, but he is completely unprepared to become an adult in these circumstances. Those are compelling ideas that the movie kind of plays as sort of cute and sort of like oh no here's another thing the old man has to deal with (laughs) and not just wild levels of trauma for a movie to portray
0: well and there's also this whole thing where the kids find out who each other are like every time a new kid comes into the picture The kids will find out their name and where they're from and what their situation is. Even though, you know, there's the one kid who has such bad PTSD that he can't even speak. And then there's the one who is Dutch and doesn't speak a word of English. And the English kid doesn't speak a word of Dutch, but they still figure all this out. And it's presented as something that's very adorable. Like, oh, look how cute it is.
1: Right, that they have weird psychic powers that allow them to know each other's names despite not being able to communicate. right is genuinely the movie doesn't give you a better explanation than that the little girl just keeps going he told us his name and he keeps going how he can't talk and she goes yes but he told us and you're like are they children of the corn like what is this supposed to be or
0: just like kids are able to communicate in ways that adults are not okay cool can we explore that a little bit Or, nope, it's just kids are weird fairy creatures. That's it.
1: Yeah. This movie leans hard on the magical restorative power of children, which is just such a bad fit for the start of World War II. Just such a wild misreading of the room from a historical perspective. Yeah. That you really don't have anything to hang your hat on as the audience. Because it wants to have you hanging your hat on these genre beats. And all of the genre beats make you feel like the director of this film is an insane person. That either you have gone crazy or they have. Because what? (laughs) I'm really not even joking.
0: Yeah, no, I know you're not. But I hadn't really thought about the fact that it does feel that way.
1: Honestly, there's nothing to talk about. We hit it.
0: The guy who plays the Nazi is decent, I guess his name is. He's an interesting portrayal, because at this point in history, I wouldn't think that there would be stereotypical cartoonish Nazi portrayals. And yet,
1: <laughs> I did think Hogan's Heroes could not exist without this film. <laughs> This is where Colonel Von Klink comes from.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Because it is such an over-the-top, like, we will see you in London by the end of the year. Just over the top. Yeah,
0: it's totally cartoonish. And not in the way that the German guy in... Oh, shit. What is the movie that was so good?
1: Uh, Grand Illusion?
0: Yeah, the German officer in Grand Illusion obviously influences a number of cartoonish Germans ever after. But he himself is very sympathetic and very interesting, and I think that's actually why he ended up being that kind of influence. Whereas this is just silly.
1: Yeah, he's a Nazi piece of shit, but there's some weird pathos energy to him.
0: Well the guy in Grand Illusion isn't a Nazi. Oh right, right, right. He's just German.
1: (laughs) Even the guy in this movie, who has All the Colonel von Klink energy has, especially with the backstory about his niece, has this little bit of like, he's just so hypnotized by the delusional machine of the Third Reich, which is not like, so he's a fine, great guy, known him for 15 years, let's have a party. But is at least some level of above Colonel Von Klink complexity that this movie wants to give him, which is also kind of a wild choice?
0: I didn't really get that until I guess that the niece gets introduced because there is the point where he's asking the old guy what he's going to do with these kids and he says well i'm going to send them to america to live with my daughter which like that's a little bit of an imposition my dude yeah surprise i hope you want five extra kids or six or however many it ends up being which like fine you know it's a war on people should have to to chip in in whatever way and the nazi guys like what about the Jewish child? And he's like, yeah, I think they're going to be fine with that, actually. Yeah. Really? They're okay with Jewish children? Just like just like any Jewish children? Maybe half-Jewish nieces, perhaps? <laughs> yeah. When it finally comes out, you're like, oh, so that was what we had that set up for. And it was not just a cartoonish Nazi.
1: You are right that, that it kind of takes a turn where he becomes a lot more... Eh sympathetic is the wrong word but once he is impotent in that way once he no longer has the power to destroy anybody because you understand like his agenda here Mm -hmm. it does become a portrayal of like okay well then how does a guy that actually cares about his niece become a nazi scum (laughs) you know the answer as presented is that he just delusionally believes in hitler's machine like believes every bit of german propaganda and believes there's really nothing for it but to become a Nazi, you know?
0: Right, except that if he did, then he would not be trying to save his niece. It's just inconsistent with his portrayal.
1: Yeah, the circle doesn't square, but that makes sense because this movie isn't good.
0: Yeah, well, there is that about it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It is not that this is a portrait of a complex human being. Mm. It's that there's more than one aspect to the guy and the actor attempts to play it, even though it doesn't really make very much sense.
0: I would not recommend this film.
1: I mean, it's anti-Nazi, which gives it some points, but like two, three, somewhere in there. Like, it's just not an enjoyable watch, among other things. I really sympathize with you thinking that the movie's two and a half hours long. Oh, God.
0: I I would watch a scene and then I would go and look at the timestamp and I had thought surely this was 20 minutes and it was like five.
1: That whole sequence where the Nazis come in and set up a gun in the middle of town and the kid whose parents were killed tries to lash out at them and the Germans taunt that they're going to commit a war crime and murder a bunch of children. And then they all come up with a plan, how they're going to travel through France by only speaking French, because some of them can speak French, and the old man is going to pretend to be deaf and out of it.
0: Well, deaf, and also they say that he needs to act like he's crazy. Yeah. Which, one, he never does. It's like they just do it to say like, oh yeah, acting crazy, that's a, that's a way.
1: It never becomes a thing, it's just supposed to be a bit about how the kids don't really respect him and like, haha. Yeah. You get through that whole thing and you think, well god, that was ten whole minutes, that was really the like backbone of act two. It's two minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> and you gotta sit through the movie doing dumb bullshit like that 30 more times.
0: Oh, it's absolutely just exhausting. And, you know, yeah, it's anti-Nazi, but that is genuinely the least that a movie could be.
1: (laughs) For sure. Uh, Two.
0: Two. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Don't ever watch this movie. It was pretty hard to track down because apparently a lot of people share our opinion.
0: I'm kind of amazed that it was nominated for Best Picture at all because there's so little about it anywhere.
1: Yeah. I really don't get it except it feels like i don't know did monty Woolley, our lead have a long career because it feels like weirdly it's let's give it to this guy because he's just been such a mensch for so long you know he
0: did not have that long of a career but he was in the man who came to dinner which was a big deal movie in the previous year or no it was in this year yeah i don't really know
1: so why did they fucking nominate this? Yeah, I don't understand. Because it feels like, ah, uh, this is maybe the 18th best Ian McKellen movie, but like, let's fucking throw Ian McKellen a bone, you know?
0: Or Judy Dench, like they both end up with those things.
1: Right. But apparently not. I don't, I, I don't get it.
0: He was really good friends with Cole Porter. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know.
1: Fun. Yeah. I, Yeah. But let's uh, forget about this movie immediately after next week when we do our final film of 1942.
0: Random Harvest, which 100% sounds like a horror movie to me. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it is, judging by the poster with Greer Garson and Ronald Colvin looking at each other with intense, dramatic love in their eyes. But who knows?
1: It does sound like a movie where scarecrows come to life and terrorize a small town.
0: And that the harvest is that they harvest your organs. Yeah. Not for any reason other than just to do it. Or like to, I don't know, continue the dark magic that animates their scarecrow bodies. We maybe have a movie here, David. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh Yes. The other thing that I want to pitch, because the only other picture I know is like a small insert of Greer Garson from the trailer, but looks like somebody's force ghosting Greer Garson. I like the idea that she's the, like, pure one who gets killed early on in the movie and is like, the only way to stop the scarecrows is... This happens every 80 years on the blood moon.
0: Right, yeah.
1: (laughs) My grandmother was a witch who stopped them last time, and I know... Sadly, though, I think it will be a story of a great love at the dawn of the 20th century because that's what every fucking one of these movies is whenever the two leads are in this pose.
0: Yes, it is. And there will probably be some absolutely pointless thing that keeps them apart. Like somebody's brother doesn't like somebody's aunt or something. I don't know. (laughs) But tune in next week to find out what it is that keeps the conflict (laughs) necessary for there to be a film. And until then...
1: No. Goodbye. We're done.
0: <laughs> until then, everybody uh, stay healthy and stay safe.
1: Yeah. I guess. Have a good week as much as is humanly possible right now, Jesus. Bye! <laughs> Bye.
0: I say, did they get him? Get home. Hitler.
1: Of course not. That's too bad.